Let's take our Bible to the book and turn to the book of Isaiah. If you would, the first chapter of Isaiah. The first chapter of Isaiah. We will read together verse uh, 10 down through verse number 20. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 10 down to verse 20. The Bible says, Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me? saith the Lord, I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. And I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make, your, make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you and make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, thank you so much for your people that are here today. Thank you for those among us that do know the Lord Jesus Christ and do know this cleansing mentioned in Verse 18, uh, thank you also for those that are here who do not yet know the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps there's some among us that do not yet know that they do not know you. Thank you for your word, and though sometimes you speak directly and pointedly, uh, Lord, you always speak with a heart of compassion and desire for, uh, for us to be made right with you. Lord, thank you for your heart. As we study this portion of Scripture today, we first we commit this time to you. Lord, we ask that you would use it, use the Word of God among us. Please, Lord, walk uh, in and out among us and speak to each and every person here, including my own heart. I pray that you would uh, guide and that your people here today would hear the message that you want them to hear individually. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Lord, I pray that the gospel would be evident, would be plain, 
and apparent to everyone that's listening. I pray for those that are among, among us that are sick, that aren't, aren't with us uh, today for various reasons. Please keep them and protect them, especially I think of Sonny and, and others. Lord, I pray that you would uh, just comfort them right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse, uh, verses 10 down through verse number 14, 15, 16, these are some of the, uh, honestly, I have to admit that I hesitate when I look at the passage because what I want to really speak to you is, is, uh, is from verse number 18. And verse number 18 is kind of an upbeat verse. It's kind of a, a happy verse. It's a verse that has a, a silver lining of, uh, of goodwill and, and a good outlook, a hopeful kind of verse. But you can't read verse 18 without first examining the rest of the chapter, without first examining the context, context in which it's spoken. And when I re- read that, sometimes I kind of shudder a little bit because these things are hard to hear. They're just, they're just hard to hear. But the Lord puts it like this. This is not, of course, the, the word of man, but the word of God. And whatever language God uses to describe the things that He says, whatever, uh, whatever tone He uses, He uses that tone on purpose, you know? And so we read in verse number 10, uh, the Lord begins to speak very pointedly about the sin of Israel. He calls them, He doesn't even address them Israel or Jacob like He commonly does. He addresses Israel as Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, that's a striking uh, way to address Israel, considering that, you know, the Lord overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah with fire from heaven. That's, you know, what I think is probably a, like a nearby volcano or something erupted and, and uh, dropped, you know, uh, fire and brimstone upon them. Uh, you think of how, you know, how terrible of a, how terrible the people must have been to warrant that kind of punishment. And the Lord calls His people Israel that, Sodom and Gomorrah. In verse 9, He says that you have, you should have been, we should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. And then He says in verse 10, Ye rulers of Sodom, give ear unto the, the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. In verse 11, the Bible says, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices? Now follow along as we read through this, this kind of introductory part. Look at what kind of service these people were doing unto God. These were not heathen types. These were not people, these were not atheistic types. These were people who were actively involved in service to God. Okay, look at what it says. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me? So they gave sacrifices, right? Saith the Lord, I am full of the burnt offerings of rams. So they gave burnt offerings, that, you know, in this time, you know, that was a commodity. That was a, a, a form of currency, was the animals that, that, they, that people had. And, of course, they had gold and silver and those types of things. But one of the things, one of the forms of currency they had was their, their wealth measured in animals and, uh, and property and those types of things. And so for them to bring an animal for a sacrifice, for them to perform that rite, that ritual, that service was, it was a big deal. It was a big deal. It wasn't like dropping a, a five in the offering plate. It wasn't like that at all. But these people were performing these services unto God. He says, I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. 
And I delight not in the blood of bullocks and of, or of lambs or of he goats. So you got, you've got bulls, you've got lambs, you've got goats, you've got rams, various beasts. Of course, we know there were other kinds of offerings as well. There were offerings of different kinds of food and there were offerings of money and drink offerings and all these kinds of offerings. Now, here's what I want you to understand. All of those offerings were prescribed in the Bible, right? God said there's, there was the trespass offering and there was the, the peace offering and then there was a sin offering and there was all these various kinds of offerings in the scripture. God told them to do this, all right? So they're doing it. He says this, verse number 12, when you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. Look at that, incense. What did not the priests enter into the, the holy place every single day, right? Every day, day in, day out to burn incense. People would bring that kind of thing as an offering. The incense would be brought to God. It was a service that God prescribed in the Old Testament. And then it mentions in verse middle of verse 13, the new moons and, the, and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies. I cannot away with it is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. Again, once again, just to reiterate, God prescribed all these things. This is what Israel was supposed to do, right? There were, there were three times in the year that the men of Israel, the people of Israel were to travel to Jerusalem. The Feast of Tabernacles, the Passover, and the other one is, the, I think, the Feast of Weeks, if I'm not mistaken. I might have that one wrong. But there were feasts when, when the Lord called a meeting, a solemn assembly, and, and the people would come together, and there would be a, there would be a feast, a festival. You think of the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which followed the Passover, and it was a week when they would, they would have different ceremonies and things that God told them to do. And that's what these people are doing. New moons is, is a reference to the, uh, the timing in which those things will be done. Verse 15, and when, they, when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Spreading forth the hands, a reference to prayer. That's, that's a common attitude of prayer in the Bible is the spreading forth of one's hands, showing God, my hands are clean. You have everything. You are everything. And then he says, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. So you, I read all that to show that these were a religious people. This was a religious people. They were following the prescribed services of God. They were involved in the various devotions and services of their religion. They were not non-religious, profane, worldlings like we might call them. They were religious people. And God is the one that had told them to do these things. But here's what I want you to see, and this is so important. Their religious services had become a sin to God. Think about that. Let that sink in. The things that God had told them to do, the prayers, the offerings, the sacrifices, the oblations, the meetings, the festivals, all of those things that were commanded for them to do had become a sin, an abomination. What is an abomination? That is a thing that provokes just revulsion to God. 
Those things had become, the very things God had said they should do to serve him had become a thing that he hated. I mean, that's just amazing to me. How can something that God tells us to do become the very thing that God hates us to do? Here's what had happened. He calls them Sodom and Gomorrah. These people of Israel had entertained and engaged in wickedness in their private life. Right? They had been... They had been wicked and evil and transgressing God's commandments when they were at home, right? When they were with family, when they went about their business, it mentions oppression, it mentions justice, relieving the oppressed, the fatherless, the widow. There was great oppression. There was theft. There was murder. He says, your hands are full of blood. This is what they were doing in their private life. And they did those things without ceasing to do the service of God. So they were doing both. They were hypocrites. In their private life, they were, they were, uh, they were sinners and wicked and abominable before God. And that caused their service to God to be utterly revolting to God. God just, he just said, I, I've had enough of it. I don't want it anymore. And it's striking. Look down at verse, um, verse 14, or uh, verse, uh, verse, end of verse 13. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. That's their festival when they would get together. Your new moons and appointed feasts, my soul hateth. I am weird. Hateth. I mean, think about that. You know, the Lord is not obligated to accept our service. He is not looking at the front that we put up in church. He's looking at the whole of our lives. He's not looking at the service we perform. He's looking at the person behind the service. And you know what? You think of Cain. You think of Abel in Genesis chapter 4. Cain was a religious man, as was Abel. In other words, they followed, they had, they had services that they gave to God, worshiped to God, but Cain was rejected. His offering was turned away. Why? Because Cain was a wicked man. And that his, his wickedness at home in private caused his offering to be an abomination to God. The Bible says in Proverbs that the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. So here's what I want, I want us all to kind of keep in mind as we go into the next part of this, these verses. That to the Lord, there is no private versus public life. The Lord is looking at everything we do, no matter if people see it or not. The Lord is looking at everything we do and say and think and our motives, no matter if if the people that we want to hold us in high regard and respect see it or not. Whether the pastor sees it or not, whether your family sees it or not, or the other church members or, or whoever might see it, whoever might not see it, what you do in private, the way that you live your life, the Lord is watching it, He sees it, and that is the determining factor as to whether your service to God, your worship of God, your uh, your dedication and devotion to God in these outward things 
is accepted. And it, it, the Lord is so serious. Again, that's why I mentioned the tone of these. This tone is very, is very pointed. When our life is lived in utter disregard and disobedience to the Lord and His commandments, and we live in rebellion to Him, and we live in open sin or private sin, it renders our service to God void. It makes that service to God just detestable to Him. That's what happened with Israel. The Lord, I'm, now I'm going to say this now, I, you know, this, is, this might sign it, sound a little off to you, but listen. The Lord had rather you not serve Him than to serve Him in that way. That's pretty strict. But more than that, he would rather you be an upright, holy, sincere, genuine, godly person in private so that your service that he prescribes and says we should do is acceptable and pleasing to him. There is this idea that goes around religious, what churches, I guess, that, you know, the Lord accepts just any old thing. No, He doesn't. There's church, listen, there, there, there are churches, and listen, I'm not throwing stones at church. Our church is the greatest thing ever. No, it's not that at all. It's just a matter of fact, okay? There are, there are churches that worship God and the people that sit, stand up on the stage and sing and praise, they are living with their boyfriend and their girlfriend. And that is still a sin. That is fornication. The Bible says, that God will judge whoremongers and adulterers. So that, that's just as an example, that kind of thing happens. What we read here happens all the time. People, they're, they're, outwardly they're serving God, but their private life is they're drunkards. And, and you, oh no, people aren't like, yes, they are. They are absolutely like that. I pray the Lord that that, that can't be named by anybody in here or anybody with our church. Obviously, from these words we call here, I, I don't believe I've overstated this at all. I believe what the Lord says is, I, I've not said anything more than that. But then we get down to verse number 16. It says, wash you and make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. So that puts this verse in a, different, in a kind of a, a clear context. The Lord knows their sin. The Lord knows what they've been up to. The Lord sees their fakery. He sees their, their, their false service to Him that's paired with a, an abominable life. He sees all of that. And despite all of that, despite the fact that their service to Him is detestable and wicked and He hates it and it's repulsive to Him, He says, my soul hateth. 
despite all of that, yet he extends his hand of invitation. He says, come now, come now, come now. Listen, any invitation that God gives to us is a marvel of his grace. Any invitation that God gives to us, we know that it did not come because we were seeking Him. We weren't. It was, become, it was because He was seeking us, despite knowing the way we are. You know, God's invitation in this come now. Just, I, I imagine the Lord, if he, if, he were, if he were standing here, you know, I imagine He'd be waving His hands. I don't know if He'd be doing this or like they do in the East, this. But He would be waving His hands. Come, come. Because his desire is for us to be clean. His desire is not for us to serve more. In this case, his desire is not for us to serve more. His desire is for us to be clean. Right? We don't add service, more service, more service, more service to cleanse all this other stuff we're doing in private. Oh, no, no, no. The Lord says, no, you need to get clean. Come, come. He says, let us reason together. I want to look at some verses related to this. If you would, turn with me to the book of Job. Hold your place here if you would. This is an interesting mention here of when the Lord invites us to reason together. Job chapter 16. Job 16, and look at verse number 21. This is Job crying out, as he often did in, in his anguish. He would cry out to God, and not, not just one time, several times he cries out in this same kind of, uh, in this, these same sort of words. In verse 21, he says, Oh, that one might plead for a man with God, as a man pleadeth for his neighbor. How many of you remember the verse in Job, we won't read it, where it talks about that he, he desired a daysman betwixt him and God. Y'all remember that word, daysman? That's kind of an, an unusual word we don't use a lot. But it's the same idea. There's an arbitrator between two parties to plead the cause, an umpire, if you will. And in this it says, in verse number 21, oh, that one might plead for a man with God. That's the same that's the same idea of reasoning together. Look at another one in Psalm number 50. Psalm number 50. Verse number says, These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such an one as thyself, but I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. See that? I will reprove thee, right? And set them in order before thine eyes. In other words, God is arguing. He is presenting a case. That's what's going on in, in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now, let us reason together. The Lord says, I have a case to make. I have things to tell you. There's a, a point that I want you to understand. Look at Micah chapter 6, if you would. 
That's in the Old Testament. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Jonah, Micah. I'll be honest, that's how I find Micah. (laughs) Memorize the books of the Bible and it'll help you find Jonah. I mean, Micah. I still haven't found it in my Bible, though. Hosea, Joel, Amos, did I misquote that? Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. There we go. Micah chapter 6. Verse number one. Listen to this reason, this, this, uh, this argument put forth, this same, these same kind of, this same kind of language. Verse number six, uh, one of chapter six. Hear ye now what the Lord saith. Arise, contend thou before the mountains and let the hills hear thy voice. Hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy. And you strong foundations of the earth, for the Lord hath a controversy with his people. And he will plead with Israel. Is that not what is, what's happening in Isaiah? He's pleading with them. Come, I want to talk to you. I have something to say. You need to listen to me. You're in peril. Oh, my people, what have I done unto thee? And wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. You see this arguing going forth, going back and forth? The Lord is saying, here's my argument, Israel. What have I done wrong? Why aren't you obeying? I think of, pause there and think of my my children. I just want to send a warning out to you parents. You know, we as parents ought to live a life such that we can say that to our kids when they tend to rebel. That we can say, what have I done? Where did I go wrong? What did I, did I do something? Did I harm you? Did I lead you astray? Was I a poor example to you? We ought to be able to, we ought to live a life before our children such that we can, we can extend our hands like, like I imagine the Lord does in Isaiah 1 and say, well, what have I done? But sadly, the reverse is true. Parents do not live a life like that. Parents live a life that is a poor and terrible example for their children. And it gives their children just the excuse they need to turn away from the Lord. And you know what? The children bear responsibility in that for sure, but they don't bear the whole responsibility of it. When we provide ready at hand an an excuse for our kids to turn away from God. But that's not the case with the Lord. The Lord was was a good father, was a good God to them. And he, he pleads with them, let us reason, what have I done? Where did I go wrong? How did I not treat you well? Look at Isaiah, if you would. Chapter 41, as we head back to our text here. Chapter 41, verse number 21. The Lord once again says to Israel, you see this? Over and over we see the Lord talking to people like this. Verse 21, Produce your cause, saith the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, saith the king of Jacob. See that? Produce your cause. Tell me what, what you're thinking. 
I have a case. I want to hear from you. And then as we go back to Isaiah chapter 1, look look at what it says. Come now, let us, and let us reason together. You know what that tells us? The Lord is saying, I want to reason with you. He's requesting, he's requesting a, a dialogue, for lack of a better term, that trendy term, a dialogue. But look at what he's doing. The fact that the Lord requests this kind of dialogue, this, 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 uh, this debate, if you will, shows that if we will be cleansed, we must voluntarily come. He does not override our resistance. No one comes to God because because God grabbed them by the nap of the neck and drugged them to God. No. God says, here's the invitation. Here's here's uh, Here's the facts of the case. Here's what I have done for you. Here's where you stand. And that's what we just read, that hard passage we just read, that pointed passage. The Lord says, here's the case. Here's where you are, and here's my invitation. But he's not going to override our resistance. The second thing is that it shows that God has good causes for us to consider. He has a case. And third, it shows that we must unplug our ears long enough to listen. And there is where, listen, there is where, that, at that point is where young people usually fall off the apple cart right there. I'm talking to people that are 20 and under. A lot of young people, I got saved when I was 17 years old. And a lot of people that age will not stop and unplug their ears long enough to hear what the Lord has to say to them. The Lord says, come, let us reason together. And they have their mind and heart on something totally different and they don't take God seriously. But he's calling. The Lord is arguing for the seriousness and gravity of sin. He is arguing that continuing in sin is not worth it and that it's better to be cleansed. He's offering that his argue, that he's arguing that his offer for pardon and cleansing is a good deal for you. It's a good deal for you. In fact, there is no better deal. We'll see it in just a minute. Let's look at his argument. Let's look at what his case is in verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, uh, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. I came across some very interesting things about this. Notice it compares our sin, you know, like a garment, to the color scarlet, Right? compares our garment and the sin that we have to crimson, crimson. You see, the word scarlet and the word crimson are references to dyes. They would take, of course, they would take back before they had chemical dyes, like we have today, and you have every, every color in the rainbow. Back then, they would have different plants and animals that they would use as dyes. Well, what's interesting is this word, uh, these words here, in fact, the word uh, crimson is also used in Exodus 16.20, which is where the Bible describes the worms, the worms that were bred in the manna that they left overnight. Well, that's interesting. 
The same word for scarlet is used to, to used for the word used for worms. You know why? Because the word scarlet was the color they got from the bugs that, that they used to, to dye the clothing. You think, I, and I was like, how does that work? Use the same word for bug and for a color? Exactly. Like, the, like my wife's favorite color is, is also the name of a fish. Salmon. That's not my wife's favorite color. She hates the color salmon. But where do we get the color salmon? We got it from the, the flesh of the, of the salmon fish, right? It's the same way. They got a bug, that's what they called it, and then they used that bug to make the color crimson. But here's what I want you to understand. Please, please understand that I want you to get the mental image. What's happening here is that the Lord is comparing the, the Israel to clothing. And he says, your clothing is not stained. It's dyed. That's a big difference. When you have a stain, you can have a stain here and there, and it can be maybe a dirt spot here or maybe a grass stain there, maybe a, a grease spot here. And, and, and overall, your garment's not, it's not totally dirty, but, you know, it's kind of here and there. And that's the way we think we are before God. We think that we're just basically good, and then we have a few spots. But that's not what the Lord is describing here. He is describing a garment that is dyed completely red. He's describing a garment that they would take this, this dye and they would mix it with water and they would cook it for a certain amount of time and they would strain it out and you would have this red water and then they would dip the clothes in the red water. And when the clothes came out, they were no longer white. And you know what? That not only were they completely red, but they were permanently red. So here's what I want you to understand about what God's describing here. This is an awfully accurate picture of our sin. Our sin is permanent and it's complete. Think about it. There is no, you can take a dyed garment and you can run it through the washing machine all you want and it's still gonna be the same color. And it's not just little spots of sin. No, the whole thing is red. The whole thing is dyed. And that's what the Lord says. Your sin is like that. It's not spots, temporary spots from accidental mistakes. No, it is you are from the top to the bottom, you are sinful, right? You are defiled. Your garment is not clean. It is not pure and white. In other words, the Lord says, this is who you are. It's not little things you do. It's who you are. When a garment is dyed, it is dyed permanently. And when a garment is dyed, it is dyed completely. So we get down to the next part of this verse. It says this, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So even though, think, of that, think about that promise. The Lord's going to take a dyed garment, a garment that is dyed permanently and completely a color, red. And he says, I will make that garment perfectly white. So even though sin has tainted us to such a degree that we are completely and permanently broken, defiled, wicked, unrighteous, God says to that same degree, when I cleanse you, you will be cleansed. You won't just become more clean. You will be perfectly clean. 
That's what's called imputed righteousness. But look up at verse 16. He says, wash you and make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Of course, the Lord is calling them to turn from their sin. But there's actually, if you look at verse 16, there's two facets. There's two aspects to this. There's a past aspect and there's a future aspect. For the past, the past deals with the sins we've already committed. The sins we've already done. There's no one doing that. He says, for those past things, you need washing. And then you you have a future aspect of those things that, that you potentially might do in the future. And for that, we need repentance. But here's a, a small... So, so to summarize, for the past, the Lord graciously offers cleansing. He washes away the stain of sins against Him and makes us clean. But that washing doesn't change our future. The second aspect deals with our attitude towards sin and our intention in the future concerning it. That's what I talked about in Sunday school. It's repentance from sin toward God. One act. You turn from sin to God. Both are here. We cannot come to God for cleansing from past sins until our attitude toward our future is changed. Right? This is basically, at its core, repentance. But here's something I want to make sure everybody understands, and I'm, I'm, I'm almost done. Please hear me. At this point, many, many people misunderstand They presume falsely that doing good in the future cleanses the past. And that is not true. That is not true. Doing good in the future cannot take away the stain of the past. It is dyed in the garment. You can't take that away and I can't take that away. It is permanent and it is complete. And all the turning over new leaves, all the resolutions to do better, all the I'm going to get things right, I'm going to make reconciliation, all of that, restitution, all of that cannot take away the past stain. And it certainly can't take away the dirty conscience that comes from past stains. But the Lord says, but the Lord commands us to wash and make you clean. Wash. How do I wash myself? It's like, well, the Lord says wash, but He doesn't expect us to do the washing. It's like taking our clothes to the washing machine. Yes, we do take our clothes to the washing machine to wash, but we're not actually the agent washing them, right? Both are required. We come to the washing machine with our clothes and we put them in the washing machine and we put our detergent in the washing machine and the washing machine washes the clothes. We put them in there, but it does the washing. The cleansing agent is not us, but it is the washing machine. In the same way, the Lord says, you have sinned. You need to bring it to me and I will wash. You come and wash and when I get, I will cleanse the stain. Here's the point. Only God has the power to cleanse sin of the past. Only 
God has the power to cleanse sin of the past. In Psalm 51, verse 7, David, in his sin with Bathsheba, says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. I have two more verses to look at, and we'll be done. If you would look at them with me. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, if you would. Colossians 1, verse number 14, or verse 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom, that's in the Son, Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Verse 20, jump down there if you would. And having made peace through the blood of His cross. What is the blood of Christ? The blood of Christ is that which was shed upon the cross. The blood of Christ is that token, that token that represents His sacrifice that was shed on the cross for sin, right? You get, when you say the blood of Christ, you are, you are stating in one word all that he did to take away our sin. And that is the token of it. That's why it must be shed. It is a token of it. It, it represents all that he did. Now look at, verse, uh, at Revelation chapter 7. If you would, Revelation chapter 7 We've studied this in Sunday school to, to a, a small degree, I guess. But we'll point, I'll point this out and we'll be finished. There were these, this innumerable company of people that came out of the great tribulation. Verse 13 says of chapter 7 of Revelation, And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? Notice their clothing. What color is it? It's white. And whence came they? And I said unto them, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. In Isaiah 1.18, he says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You know, we come to God in repentance toward the future, sorrow about the past, of course, but our heart changed toward the sin that, that we might commit. We come to God that can never, no good deed that we do could ever take away the stain of the past. So we come to God and we say, God, I need to wash, but I can't, I, I can't cleanse myself. And the Lord says, I care so much about your cleansing. I want you to be clean so much that my son shed his blood upon the cross to wash that garment pure white. And so the blood of Christ, that is that Christ died for our sins 
according to the scriptures, is the only way our past sins can be cleansed. We must come to God, or though, listen now, we must come to Christ in a heart of faith. We must come to Him with a heart of repentance. We must come to Him for cleansing, or that stain, we will die and we will go to hell stained as a sinner. Completely, permanently, like that dye does to that garment. But because of the cross, the blood that was shed, we can wash. We can come to God, like the Lord says in Isaiah chapter 1, wash you and make you clean. But there is no cleansing possible without the blood of Christ. That is the cleansing agent. Jesus, our Lord, died for sinners. He died to take away the stain of sin that nothing else can remove. It is scarlet, it is crimson, and it's not coming out. But His blood can wash it clean because He died for those things. He died because of those things. He paid the penalty. Let's pray.